so glad to be here today. Jesus was going somewhere. Luke 9:51 says that Jesus had resolutely set his face for Jerusalem. And his disciples had said, you don't go there. And he said, get behind me. I'm going there. Everywhere Jesus went, there were crowds that were attracted. It's because he did so many miracles to go with the wonderful things that he said. You know, you can study the life of Jesus and be an agnostic, and you still can't get away from the fact that he did some amazing, miraculous things. If you're studying geology and you find a giant crater in the earth, you know an asteroid hit. If you study history, the impact of Jesus was so thunderous that it radiates out to us even here today. So as Jesus was going somewhere, he came close to his destination of Jerusalem. He came to one of the border towns of Jericho, and the crowd was there. He did not disappoint. A blind man was there, and Jesus said, see, and he did. Help us see today, Jesus. And so as the crowd came into the city gates of Jericho, you can see it constricting and funneling into the narrow corridor. Everyone's jostling and getting close. People are trying to touch Jesus because power even comes out from him. And in that moment, as they're jostling and going on, Jesus comes and looks up. And there, up in a tree, much like a child might be, is a richly dressed man. That man had climbed a tree to have a look at Jesus. But instead, Jesus had a good look at him. And so did the whole crowd. They all knew who he was, too. Not a good man. So they waited for the words of judgment from Jesus. But instead, we hear different things. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. The crowd knew who Zacchaeus was, chief tax collector. How many of you enjoy going to service New Brunswick? Imagine, though, if you went up, the agent said to you, that's $100 to renew that license, and uh, $50 service fee cash, please. Now you know how the crowd felt about Zacchaeus. That's the type of operation he was in charge of. His Hebrew name was Zacchaeus. It means clean and righteous. Kind of funny. He probably felt as clean and righteous as a drug dealer named Christian. He had embraced wealth, and it had embraced him right back. It had rewarded him richly. It had become his goal in life, but at the same time, had robbed his life of its actual meaning and purpose. So this short man, desiring something, maybe not quite sure what, in the most undignified manner, climbed a tree to get a good look at Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, in verse 5, not words of judgment, but he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. There was Zacchaeus, the notorious sinner, eating and talking with Jesus. I wonder what they said. Did Jesus like lay it all out? This is what it means to follow me. This is what's going to happen and all those things. 
we kind of wish we'd have that moment. But I wonder if, Zac- if, if Jesus had to say a lot to Zacchaeus. Because it wasn't the first time that Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus. Zacchaeus had gone out, like the whole nation of Israel, to hear Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, call the people to get their hearts ready for Jesus. And he said, you need to repent. He said, if you've got two of something, it's time to give one of those to a poor person. And specifically to the tax collectors, he said, guys, stop charging your service fees. Don't take any more than you're supposed to. So the next verses don't come out of nowhere. Verse 8, it says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Don't you like it? Right there, Zacchaeus changed from being a taker to being a giver. His life had basically been a tax on others, taking a percentage out of what they had to work with. Instead, he says, let me multiply life four times. Give half. It's an amazing story. And Jesus says, salvation has come. Literally, as I looked up the word in the Greek, it means it's been born. It wasn't there. There was deadness, lostness, and purposelessness. And now there's life and meaning and rescue. And it really wasn't because of Zacchaeus' actions. It was because of Jesus himself. The last verse explains it. Jesus refers to himself saying, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Lost doesn't just mean not knowing your way, though. Lost also means like a total loss. Like when a car hits something so hard that it's bent to its very frame. Who was seeking who? The other word that jumped out at me as I looked at this was the Greek word zeteo. It means to seek, to desire, to try to obtain. And that's the word that was used when Zacchaeus climbed the tree trying to see something. But you know, it's the word that's used of Jesus when he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. It's his desire. He changed Zacchaeus' life that day, and then he resumed where he was going. He had somewhere to go. And he left Jericho, heading for Jerusalem. It's a real privilege to invite Emily Agostini up to the platform right now. Emily is a person who knows Jesus. And she doesn't have to say a lot to explain that to you. You just have to talk to her for a second and see the glow on her face. Have a seat. She has lovely family. There's Rocco, who has a life change story of his own. There's Luch, Luciano. And uh, there's Clara. So, uh, Emily, there's a big story behind you. And uh, I'd love it if you'd tell it to us now. Sure. Good morning. Ten years ago at this time, this is absolutely not what I would be doing on a Sunday morning. And probably the only Sunday mornings I did see were 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. I often spend time wondering why I was born, why is life so hard, and why, if there is a God, would I be going through all of this hurt? 
I was in a broken marriage, and for the most part at that time, I was finding happiness in the form of liquid, occasionally other things, and I loved to party, whatever that meant. Under the influence is where I found a temporary escape. Church had been a part of my life as a child, but became less and less as I grew up until I just stopped going. I knew I felt different in a church, but I struggled believing in something that I couldn't see. In the spring of 2007, I was talking with a friend and came to the realization that we had been raised with similar faith. We talked about trying out church together. When we did, I again found myself loving what I felt in church on Sunday mornings, regardless of what I had been doing on Saturday night. For several months, I tried living on the line, but truthfully keeping a foot in both lives. Labor Day weekend, 2007, a friend of mine was house-sitting in Grand Barachois at her aunt's house, and she asked me if I'd like to come out for the day, have a barbecue with a couple of friends. And I thought that would be perfect, as it just so happened that all four of our lives resembled each other's in many ways. Once I was there, they decided they wanted to go kayaking just for a short time. I didn't want to go, and I couldn't swim, but I would go watch. By the time we got down there, they had talked me into going along and promised a short 20 minutes and we would be back barbecuing in no time. Because of some of the events from the past couple of weekends, I had said to my friend, are you sure you want me to go with you? I feel like death is creeping all around me. Off we went. There were four of us, two people in separate kayaks, and then her and I in a double kayak. It wasn't too bad, it was about 5 p.m and I knew by 6 p.m. we would be back barbecuing the meat that had been left to marinate. We were chatting, and at one point I felt like it had been at least 20 minutes, so I turned around to see the shore. We were very far out, way further than we expected, or than I expected. When we all went to turn around, something went wrong with one of the guys, and he tipped his kayak. None of us were experienced kayakers with the strength or skill to flip it back over in deep water. It was fine. The four of us agreed that we would pitch in money and replace it. He held on to our double kayak and we continued on our way. The next thing you know, our other friend had trouble and tipped his kayak too. It was crazy. So the other friend hung on to the back of our double kayak. We watched the only kayak we had left fill with water and then it too tipped. There we were, four people, shaky in our faith and only one could swim. The friend who could swim pulled us over to a lobster buoy, and there we floated, hanging on to the rope. The day was over, and there was nobody on the water. We now felt officially stranded. Nobody knew where we were. Nobody was expecting us home that night. We had two options. We waited out and hoped that tomorrow someone will be on the water and rescue us, or our one friend that could swim would try to get to shore. We all prayed about it, and for safety for each of us, and then she started swimming. As it grew dark, the three of us prayed and sang. Once in a while, we would make small talk, but panic would quickly come, so we would go back to singing and praying. At one point in the very far distance, we saw police lights at the shore. We celebrated, thinking we were saved. But then the light faded, and it was darkness again. It was nearing midnight, and we went back to panic mode back to talking to God, which was the only thing that made any sense in that moment. The specific prayer for me was more of a pleading and bartering prayer. Lord, I need you. I don't want to continue living the empty life I've been living. 
I don't want to take life for granted anymore. I don't want to question you anymore and wonder if you're real. If you help me get out of here alive, I will serve you for the rest of my days. And if now is my time to go, I'm okay with that. I'm just scared. Please, Lord, be with us. Amen. I kept my eyes closed because at that very moment, I felt a peace like I had never felt before. I had just spoken words saying what I should have said long ago. And at that very moment, while my eyes were still mostly shut, the most unexpected thing happened. I saw, I guess it was a vision, an outline of Jesus' face in the sky. It was huge beyond description. It was vivid and it was real. I hadn't asked for something that I will call tangible, but it was a gift and I just felt like it was his way of letting me know that I didn't need to question him any longer. Once I did open my eyes and while one of my friends was still praying and holding on to the rope, I saw that my other friend had let go. I couldn't believe it. I started yelling to him and asked him why he let go. His responses weren't making a lot of sense. We just kept yelling back and forth for a little while as he drifted until eventually we couldn't hear him. A little while later, we saw a light coming from behind us. We kept yelling and waving. It still took quite a while for the Coast Guards to find us. They brought us on and we pointed to the direction of where our friend had drifted off. They told us it was almost 2 a.m. After 20 minutes, the Coast Guard found the yellow jacket, life jacket that our friend had been wearing. And devastatingly, our friend would wash up on the shore six days later. There are many unanswered questions, but they are not ours to answer. The minister that did his funeral had asked us if there was anything specific that we wanted to be mentioned. And for me, I just wanted to express my sorrow for the loss of his life, but my thankfulness that in his death, three others were saved. Emily, when I looked at this testimony, one of the facts that jumped out at me was something that a, a U to M professor had said about the water that night. Mm -hmm. He said that the waves and the temperature of the water were humanly impossible to swim in. Mm -hmm. What happened? Um, my friend and I that um, we had been with that swam to shore, uh, she was not an athletic swimmer. She swam for four hours toward the shore where a porch light happened to be on that night, four hours. A few days later, she told us what had happened. She told us how she swam, became tired, and was losing her breath. So she prayed that, God, I can't do this. I can't go on. I'm too tired. And then literally her feet would touch sand. She stood up, caught her breath, and kept on swimming. And I know that because God used her and gave her strength that I sit here today. As much as life isn't always easy, for me, it started with accepting the grace and forgiveness that only Jesus can give. And little by little, the living Christ changed the priorities in my life so that I didn't have to. And the tragic event that I tell you about today has been used to help me begin the journey with Jesus of really learning why I am here. For me specifically, that's to love and to encourage other people that are going through similar hurts, habits, or hang-ups. Emily, thank you so much for sharing today. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Four times her friend felt sand under her feet 
as she swam to the end. Out in the panic, in the water, facing her death, Emily uh, prayed a prayer that she should have prayed years ago. We could pray that today. We really have two lives to choose from. And to understand the significance of these lives, it's important sometimes to look at them from the end. I have two real funerals in mind that I was part of, both of people that died before their time. At the first funeral, I remember uh, people coming up to eulogize the person who had died, talking about his hobbies and the little funny things he did. But these people were drowning in grief. And it was sort of like a, a ship had gone down and they're grabbing on these little things that are floating in the water, trying to make something they can float on, trying to cobble together some sort of meaning to this life that was cut short. And most of all, trying somehow to cobble together some sort of assurance that he really was in a better place. It was so desperate. The second funeral was of a woman who had also been cut down in the middle of her life. And the people at that funeral, I think, grieved more deeply even than the first because it was safe for them to grieve. They knew that at the bottom of it all, there was an assurance of salvation in that lady's life. The people that were at that funeral, all, one after another, would stand up and say, that person touched my life. I was a prisoner. She came and she helped me be reintegrated into society. I was had no place to stay. I stayed at her house. This person showed me what it is to really worship God. And all around, there was a legacy of life and meaning. Amazing. And sometimes we have to say, fast forward where I'm at right now. What's my funeral like? Which of the two lives am I choosing today, one minute at a time? Which life am I choosing? Which life does God have for me? Guys, I don't even know how to adequately convey the immensity of the choice that stands before you on which life you choose. On, if you choose Jesus, you have eternity. And you don't just have eternity when you die. You have the presence of God in you now. You have eternity now just filling your life. And even though you're going through different things, you're not going through it alone. It's amazing. And every day, you will see more and more of the love of God in your life. You'll worship God whether you're in church or not. But I want to get really real with, with you for a second. Some of you, when you hear me talking about the love of God and how he does wonderful things in life, you have a hard time with that. You might say, you know what? I did pray when I was in trouble, and I'll tell you what happened. Nothing. Nothing happened. I was stuck in my grief. I was stuck in abuse. I was without a job. I didn't have any friends. People betrayed me. I couldn't get out of my compulsive behaviors. I failed myself. And as I cried out to God, there was nothing there. So with all due respect, Pastor... Don't try to bring meaning out of this meaningless life to me and talk to me about the love of God. And in your worst moments, your most honest moments in some respects, you, like many of us here, 
have cursed God rather than praised him. That's a real moment. There's a play called The Long Silence. Let me give you an adaptation of it. It's a compelling scene. It's the end of time, and there's billions of people, all that have ever lived, stretched out on a great plain before the throne of God, and this pure, pulsing light of God's holy love is radiating out, and most of the people are shrinking back because it's that intense. And many of them are feeling their sin and their shame. But you see a few people push out to the front. One lady pushes out to the front and says, how can God judge me? You see this? And she rips off her sleeve. See that tattoo? I was a Holocaust victim. I was treated like an animal. I was tortured and I died. How can you judge me, God? Very quickly, another person was emboldened to step out, an African-American boy, and he said, do you see this around my neck? This is the rope burn where I was lynched for no crime other than being of a different color. And finally, a mother stepped out and, and held up an empty car seat and said, when my toddler died, I was left with nothing but desolation and emptiness. How can God judge me? It emboldened the crowd. More people came out into the front to form a protest, to form something that they would indict God with. The original three were joined by three more. One was a businessman. He'd had everything in this world, but then he had lost it all and become homeless. Another one that was selected was an arthritic with the worst form of arthritis that had crippled his body so that everything was twisted and broken. And then finally, and then finally, there was a man that came out and he said, I lost my wife, she betrayed me. And then she took my kids from me. I judge God. Before God could be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they had endured. That was the decision. The decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a human. Each leader shouted out to the crowd of billions, their part of the sentence. The business owner said, let him be taken from having everything to having nothing. And the crowd roared approval. The deserted husband said, let him give everything he has for those he loves and let it all be thrown back in his face. Let them betray him and leave him alone. The Holocaust victim demanded, let him be tortured, dehumanized, and treated worse than an animal. And the arthritic said, and let his body be ruined, almost beyond human recognition. The crowd thundered its approval, channeling all the pain and frustration of a lifetime. The lynching victim pronounced, may he be hung on a tree, dying slowly, though he has done nothing wrong. And the grieving mother finished the sentences, May he know the searing loss of losing a child and may the blackness that has descended upon me descend upon him so completely and utterly that there is nothing left. But suddenly the crowd faltered and went silent. No one said a word. 
because they all realized in that moment that God had already served this sentence. Jesus was on his way somewhere, guys. Jesus was on his way somewhere when he met Zacchaeus that day. And then he proceeded on to Jerusalem. There he entered into our darkness, our sin, and our suffering. On that cross and in the passion leading up to it, he began to descend into everything that we had experienced in sin. He entered into betrayal from a crowd that rejected his love. He suffered the desertion of his disciples. His body was racked with whippings and beatings, crowned with thorns jammed into his head as he descended into our hate. As the crowd began to channel the frustrations of a lifetime onto him, he experienced the worst that our sin does as he became the scapegoat for everything that we're so angry about. He descended in, into sin into that state. He was hung on the cross, experiencing the torments of death. And the worst thing that happened to him was in that moment as he entered into the depths of human experience where we are stuck, he had to experience the absolute separation from God that our sin brings. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the sky went black. And there he was, right at the bottom, right at the most bent and twisted part of being a human. But one thing changed. You see, if we're in that spot, we curse God. We say, how dare these people do this to me? We hold on to that pain. But Jesus, right at the bottom, says, Father, forgive them where they don't know what they're doing. And he begins to reverse something. He begins to overcome all that hate with his love. And then, what would you do if you were in that situation? You would close in on yourself, but Jesus says to the thief next to him, have faith in me, and today you'll be in paradise. He says to his mother, mom, here's John, my disciple, take care of each other. And then, and in that intense darkness, he reaches out with a final act of obedience beyond which there could be no further act of obedience. And he says, into your hands, Father, in, out of this forsakenness, 
into your hands, I commit my spirit. And I'll tell you what, on that moment, in that day, it was finished. Something new happened. The failures that we've been have been reversed by Jesus Christ. He has faced everything that we have faced. He could not be held by the grave. He rose up. He gave a message of hope and healing to his disciples and sent them out. He ascended to heaven and he poured out his spirit so that today he could call out to you just the same way he did to Zacchaeus and say, come, come and get life. Come and let me take that pain and transform it into beauty. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. There are all kinds of ways to be lost. You can be in crisis like Emily was, where you've got nothing left to hold on to, and in the moment when there's no options, you finally cry out to God. You know, Emily says she loves to work with people with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. She was referring to Celebrate Recovery. I love it. I love it when a person finally realizes they have no options but God. And then he comes in and makes it new. I'm inviting you right this morning to begin that journey with God for him to make all things new in your life. Would you pray in a few moments to do that? And then if you are a person in crisis, would you come out tomorrow night at 6.30 to celebrate recovery in this basement? Emily will be there. I'll be there. But you know who's really going to be there? Jesus Christ. Would you start that journey today? There are other ways to be lost. You could be lost right in the middle of having everything. That's what was wrong with Zacchaeus. And you might be better than Zacchaeus. You know, he had to cheat, steal, and lie to get where he was. You may have been a wonderful person, not having pushed aside other things that are a better priority, not having used people like things. But you know what? You're still in the middle of everything, and you're missing the point of it all. Jesus Christ Without him as your foundation, you're building a life that is a house of cards. And that life you're going to somehow have to take into eternity once those grains of sand have gone through. And you're going to have to say, I'm not sure if I got it right. Don't be lost right in the middle of having everything. I invite you today to begin a relationship with Almighty God through Jesus Christ. I hope you can feel his spirit tugging at you today. It has nothing to do with what I'm saying and everything to do with, with what Jesus himself is saying to your soul. And right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I want to call on every influence that's been into your life because like, like Zacchaeus, this isn't the first time you heard about Jesus. That grandmother or relative has been praying for you since you were a baby. And she may be long gone, but in the name of Jesus Christ, I call back every one of those prayers that you may respond today. I call to mind those moments when you knew God was real and you've set them aside. I call to mind those times when you should have died and you knew that you were spared for a reason. You were spared for today. I call to mind every bit of truth that's ever been poured into your life. And I say in the name of Jesus Christ, would you come down today and respond to Jesus? You can do that now as we sing. I think of all the people like Emily with one foot in and one foot out. Don't wait until you're facing death. 
It's time to get both feet in tonight, today. Come down to the front and pray. Come and respond to Jesus. And he will become the meaning of your life. It's time for meaning. Don't waste one more second.